watch anime chicks with inflatable breasts You might be a Trekkie, eh, sit back and watch As the uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch Turn to the left to F in your dictionary And add this word to your vocabulary Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy Damn it Jim, I'm not a doctor, I'm just the definition of a Fanboy, baby No, I do have a question, though, that I think will tie in later as well. Do you, do you use the Big Finish app? No, I don't. Okay, so that's something that... I, I buy I buy the MP3 sets that are downloadable, and then I can put them on any of my devices. Mm-hmm. So... No, you still have to go through the the website um, and and do exactly that. But But then using the app, which is free, you can then download them directly to whatever your device is okay without without converting so i've just uh it was a conversation that happened over at gallifrey one and uh well see you you buy the cds yeah but i decided for some series like dark shadows um where it doesn't matter to me as much you just bought the mp3s then i just well i started i just wanted to explore so i bought uh dark shadows um uh, I just keep hearing people rave about uh, a couple others. I'll, I'll circle back around to it, I think, a little bit in introducing one of the interviews. Um, but I figured, you know, yeah, it was that, that having the CD cases for, like, you know, Tennant, for the David Tennant and Catherine Tate, and the, uh, the War Doctor box sets was, that mattered to me as a collector. But if I'm going back for other things, that yeah. it's more interesting to I wasn't excited when I found out they were just doing reenactments of the prisoner thing. Is that all it is? I have, yeah, I, it's episodes I of the prisoner done as audio. So, yeah. Well, I, you know, on the flip side, though, I've, I've, I think I, I have to say honestly, I've been disappointed or just like, well, that was odd for its own sake. In any attempt that had been made to continue it. You mean you like the, the two comics things? The comics, and and I think the remake was just like... Oh, the remake was horrible. The one with yeah. Jim Caviezel? Yes. Yeah. And Ian McKellen. I yeah. mean, you know, you couldn't have gone... You know, I thought, oh, you couldn't go wrong with that cast. No. But they did. <laughs> so. Yeah, they... Yeah. No, that was, yeah. it was just awful. It was, it was dense and slow, and... Um, it had no spirit, no, you know. Which is an accurate description of me on Saturday morning in the snow. <laughs> so good. <laughs> ah, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and we are podcasting actually on February 27th. It's a Monday uh, because we're about to launch uh, into a very busy couple of weeks with Cinequest in San Jose. Uh, so we thought, well, let's get taking care of some stuff uh, today while we still can before the excitement begins in San Jose. So, of course, uh, I'm actually podcasting from Los Angeles, but manipulating everything on his little devices in San Jose. They're big devices. Rick Brett Snyder. You know, I can't see them. Sometimes you have the little one. And didn't you have a more streamlined one right now? I am not using that. I'm using the big, big computers. 
Oh, okay. But you still like the little stream, the, the one you just bought? Oh, a the one I just ago, bought right? is awesome. Yeah. We'll be taking well, out to Cinequest. Let's call that let's call that a sponsorship. Uh, what is that device for those who are intrigued? It's a Zoom H6. Excellent. Uh, so, yeah, hey, people, there it is. I have this, still that smaller one that you had recommended a couple of years ago. The H4. The H4? H4N. And let me tell you that, you know, that H4N I uh, watched in in action because uh, it was brought up to me that, that that's sometimes some portions of what Big Finish does is recorded on that. Uh-huh. Probably, which I found probably like background audio. Yeah. Yep. And and their actual regular podcast, which I didn't know they did until this week. So right. we are not going to talk too much about, about news this week because uh, we will talk some comics. We will talk a little bit about movies, uh, as we already have from CineQuest. But, all, but uh, last weekend or two weekends ago from this recording was uh, Gallifrey 1. And so I gathered up some interviews from there. So I'd like to take that as sort of our top story. Uh, so... Uh, I managed to have a lot of conversations, but managed to only record three. Uh, so, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, just casual stuff. Uh, you know, one thing, and I and I think I tweeted it out or Instagram that uh, Jimmy V, who had been, I can never remember the name of the character, the little, he's in the the uh, Titanic episode of Doctor Who, uh, David Tennant, um, and and appeared in Sarah Jane Adventures. Jimmy, uh, Scottish stuntman and uh, little person who was just named as uh, as the new R two D two. Oh like yeah, the week before Gallifrey won, and so oh. it was like, wow, we have this yeah. extra. <laughs> you know, it was kind of funny. On Friday, he wasn't really allowed to talk about it. I did not get an interview with him, but on Friday, when he wasn't allowed to talk about it, it cost ten dollars to get his picture. Uh, on Sunday, when he was allowed to talk about it, it went up to sixty bucks. <laughs> so that's capitalism, right in in in, in progress, right there. Uh, but the first interview that I actually got was, uh, I think we've we have talked about a few times on the podcast uh, that thanks to Gallifrey One, I really got into Big Finish Productions uh, or Big Finish Audio, which uh, has covered in addition to uh, Doctor Who. Many other things. Maybe we, we were talking a little earlier about the prisoner. There's the Avengers, uh, continue, and not the Marvel Avengers, the John Steed and and uh, Emma Peel uh, series. Uh, and and I, and I was just talking with Jason Hay Gallery about this, and we I said I knew I'd leave some out, but uh, Dark Shadows that was another one we really. Well, were, there's a yeah. bunch of Doctor Who spinoff shows. Yes, characters from fan-favorite characters from various episodes that have their own series. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they've created... This This is the... Uh, yes, uh, so that's one I downloaded on the Big Finish app was uh, the Companion Chronicles because I've been hearing so many people at Gallifrey One talk about Jago and Lightfoot. Right. Yeah. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. So, but there's also the... Oh, doggone it. Now I'm going to totally blank on the name of it because I was thinking about it last night. Charlotte uh, yeah. something... But yeah. one is featuring um, a friend of the podcast, a uh, friend of conventions for years and years before this happened, Chase Masterson. So she showed up cast in a Doctor Who audio drama yes. as a character named Vienna Salvatore. 
that they immediately spun off into her own series, which I think is going on to season four, which I think is fascinating that they do. Of course they do like radio show seasons of these things and they sell them as little, you know, box sets of, of, of seasons. Um, and so they've, in a way they have created many original characters, but set in the doctor who universe so that, uh, you know, it goes, they've, I, there must be some really cool uh, arrangement with the BBC, but uh, re- regardless, there's there's just so much. And now they've started um, classics, like doing ancient, uh, not ancient, classic horror and sci-fi novels. So one of the things that we talk a little bit about in this first interview with Jason Haig Ellery, who is the owner of Big Finish, uh, is you know they basically got the last work of John Hurt. Yeah, and one of the things that was the release was delayed. So this week, as we're recording, I think today comes out, or maybe it's tomorrow, will be the release of the final War Doctor box set. Uh, the release had been delayed after uh, when when John Hurt passed away. But the other thing that they did was they actually recorded him uh, in an adaptation of The Invisible Man, and so that has just come out as well. Uh, so, but they've got Frankenstein, they've got Dracula, they've got, they've got, uh, I was going to say Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Strange for some strange reason. Well, they've, uh, got, they've got Torchwood and, um, well, they've got, you know, I was going to say they do Blake Sherlock Seven. Holmes, the classic. And, uh, yes. And the other thing I was going to say has now been derailed, but, uh, huh? there, there, no, there were plenty, there's just so much when you go and dig in, you know, they have a two, a series of 2000 AD adaptations judge dread as well wow and they announced uh at gallifrey one that they're also going to start adapting and dramatizing some of the better uh comic stories from doctor who magazine well that's from years past so you know that's that's a really interesting which we've seen the interesting thing about this side stuff is right that it kind of cross-pollinates because we know way back when uh, and it was a Target that was publishing the Doctor Who novels when there wasn't a series on television. But I, I think it was Target books. Um, but like how Paul Cornell had written a Doctor Who adventure call, a novel called uh, Human Nature, which then was he adapted himself into the television series when it was revived as the two-part episode, uh, Human Nature and Family of Blood. And I was scouring the dealer's room looking for that novel because I've never actually read it. And and I don't know which doctor it was uh, for originally. I, I, I want to say it was the fourth doctor. Um, but regardless, you know, it became the 10th doctor's adventure in television. So officially, so, you know, they've done that. They pulled out from the past and, and that was a question that had come up. It's like, would you consider adapting a comic story? And Nicholas Briggs, um, who does a lot, oversees a lot of the Doctor Who, said, "Oh yeah, we're you know, working on on these." The titles meant nothing to me, but you know, you hear this gasp from the crowd because I haven't really read a lot of that um, audio, uh, the Doctor Who magazine comics. But regardless, I was able to sit down with Jason Haig Ellery, who owns Big Finish, and we talked a little bit about. Uh, audio dramas and as I, I've alluded to several times the big finish app and uh, what we uh, can expect and have enjoyed from the Doctor Who series or range as they say the Doctor Who ranges so Jason Haig Ellery 
I am sitting at uh, Gallifrey One 2017 with Jason Haig Ellery, who is uh, your official title with Big Finish. You did Big Kahuna? Uh, yeah, I'm the executive producer. Uh, I'm also the owner. Well, the owner of Big Finish Audio, which, for those who have listened to the podcast before, uh, has hooked both uh, producer Rick Bretschneider and myself on continuing adventures of Doctor Who, but not just that. Uh, the Prisoner... Uh, there's a Sherlock Holmes side series. There's Survivors. Survivors, that's the one that rigs it to. Uh, I, I, I feel that if I tried to name it, I would leave something really I important would, out. The problem is, I probably would as well. Which <laughs> is, um, we, we actually have, I think, 270 hours of drama this year. So it's a lot that we're doing over all these different series. And we've been negotiating for new series as well. So it's, um, it is an awful lot of drama. Yeah. So... As you're the owner, what gave you the impetus to start this company? Um, two things, really. One, uh, I was involved peripherally with uh, audiovisuals back in the 1980s, which was the amateur Doctor Who um, audio productions, which were done with Nicholas Briggs as the Doctor. Um, and uh, I knew Nick, I knew Gary, I knew Bill. I knew a lot of them at the time, and I came in and helped with sound effects and also played a part and so forth and, and it, it was something which I thought this is a really good thing um, I should get involved a bit more then university happened and various other things happened and along the way I, I started various other companies and um, Gary came to me uh, in the uh, in around about 97, 96, 97 to say let's try and get the rights to Doctor Who on audio to do as a proper audio drama and we discussed that and we moved forward but what brought me to audio drama as well is that I used to have a job uh, as a consultant where I was working for Manchester United which is a um, big football team it's one of the biggest football teams in the world and um, the uh, I was living down near Maidenhead where we still have our offices and I was commuting between Maidenhead and Manchester which is a very long drive um, and I used to after a while I got very sick of listening to radio um, to the pop stations etc and I started to buy talking books um, so when Gary said let's do this I was very up for it because I'd been spending a long period of time listening to talking books on a regular basis um, so it seemed a very natural thing to do. And I suspect, uh, it a, my, my perspective is, I think in England, uh, and probably in Europe proper, the idea of the audio drama, mm. the radio show, yeah. is far livelier than it is in the U.S. Oh, totally. It's, um, I mean, basically, I think there's about three or four dramas a day on, uh, of one sort or another on BBC Radio 4. Um, so we've never been far away from uh, drama, to be honest, um, on radio. And you know, my my great aunt was in the longest running soap opera in the world, which is The Archers, on on audio. And they spend one weekend every month recording all the episodes for the whole month. Um, and I. It's, it's a long, you know, so it's been a very, very long tradition. The difference, obviously, in America was that um, the soaps, as they were called, of course, were sponsored by soap right. powders and so forth, how they got their name. But they actually moved to television, and the sponsorship took them to television, and then it died out on radio. 
um, in the UK because there was no sponsorship in the first place it just continued so we uh, we have a very long history of audio drama and it's a very good way of actually testing out new writers new directors uh, new talent um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of actors who love radio Paul McGann for example does radio all the time for the BBC and for us and, and he loves it because it's all about um, it's all about the acting um, when you go and do a movie um, funny enough years ago Derek Jacobi mentioned this he, uh, he said you know we, you turn up on set you have to remember to hit your marks you're in makeup the lighting has to be perfect often you, you retake because of the um, because of peripheral things nothing to do with the acting and in fact if you get the if you hit your mark and you say your lines and it's pretty good usually it stays in so that's the reality of what happens so with audio you can work on a scene do it three times if necessary and it's very quick it's bang 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 you can do an hour a day and that's what we do so um, we work in three studios um, and we have multiple teams working at any one point and as I said it's around about 270 hours this year which is a lot. And how do you make your decision as to which project reports? So to flash forward, you're, su- you know, mm. you're successfully huge. You, you've got dramas going on with, I think, every doctor. Yes. Uh, and so forth. And, and um, then you've got Unit coming, Torchwood. Um, there's a lot of Lightfoot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and at the panel yesterday, that was the, you know, people were pitching at this. Why couldn't you do this? Have you, you know, have you thought about doing this? How do you make your decision? It's interesting. We have um, we myself, David, and Nick sit down and we have a general talk about where we're going and what things we should be doing, and then uh, individual producers are are put in place, and the producers will work with the writers to come up with the stories, and then they're presented to Nick and David, who then take them to the BBC. So, um, what? So what we do is we go, isn't it? The, 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 we had an idea to do a two-master box set, which became the trilogy in the main range. We'd had that. We'd talking about that for probably three years, um, and it's like, what haven't we done? Well, we love uh, Alex McQueen as the master, and obviously Jeffrey Beavers is amazing as the master as well. Wouldn't it be great we just if they met? So we did that in the end. But it took about three years to get into place and some things happen really quickly so for example when we got um, the go ahead to use the war doctor and John Hurt said yes to doing it we had to get those turned around very quickly because John had other commitments coming up Um, he had a movie to do which uh, turned out to be his last movie Um, so it's a you know a lot of this stuff is done very quickly and a lot of stuff is done over a longer period of time uh, but actually, what, how do we decide? Um, it's you know we use our own fan genes. It's, it's very much what would we like to see? If we're excited by it, we know fans will be excited by it because we're absolutely fans. Mm-hmm. So. And I, I want to go back to the War Doctor because you do still have another set coming out yes. next week. So yeah. it is interesting to me about Doctor Who. This is a, week, a weekend where I've been in panels where we've talked mm. a lot about continuity. Yeah, and. The thing is, after the war, you know, the thing about Doctor Who in general is, I always feel like there's these huge gaps where you get to play, and it could mm. be continuity or it could not be. I've really well, enjoyed. Russell actually said he deliberately left us gaps. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so with it, with definitely with the War mm. Doctor, 
um, I thought. It was very yeah. interesting, you know, that I've listened to the first set. Um, you found a great guy. I mean, and you yeah. found some, some great stories. And what was it like? Here it is to say, I, that's the fan question. You mm. got to work with John Hurt. Yeah. And you've got this last piece of work coming out yet, which is you know, wonderful here. So uh, how was that? Uh, he was a lovely man, actually. He really was. I and mean, it's interesting. I was saying this to someone else earlier when we were having a chat. Um, the thing about John was he was an uh, incredibly likable man. Um, he was... I described him as a gentleman and a gentleman, yeah. Because he was he was very sweet, very very nice, very very caring about everyone around him, um, and he he was also an amazing actor, obviously as well. And um, the the great thing about John was he would just come in, and we spent very little time with him. So, to some extent, we feel a bit like, well, you know, we we knew him for, you know, 12 days, and then I met him sociably three times. Um, you know, that's a, not a long history with someone. But he made such an impact upon everyone. You feel like you've lost a friend, yeah. which is, um, is, you know, and someone like Jackie Pierce, for example, who'd known him practically all her life, um, you know, she has met, lost one of her dearest friends and um, that's got to be hurting her immensely and he was so very supportive to her as well um, whereas with with uh, what we're doing um, you know so to some extent it was a it, we felt a bit like God we shouldn't really be affected like this but we were affected by it because he was such a lovely man you know you meet someone who's wonderful and you think Oh, I want to meet them again and again. I keep working with and them. And then you don't get that chance. Did you have plans for more? Yes. Okay. And but we'll I can't just, talk about it. No, that's yeah. fine. Um, so let's talk, let's end on a higher note of mm. what you can talk about. Like, what is the most exciting project for you that's coming in the next year? Oh, my God. Right. Uh, to be honest with you, there's so many. Um, there's a couple I can't tell you. That's the thing. There's something that's happening in April, which is amazing, but I can't tell you until it's done. Uh, there's something which we've just on the process of signing a new contract for a brand new license which we think will go down extremely well with certain people it's something a little bit different for us very exciting um, I in, in terms of what we've talked about uh, oh, I can't talk about that either. Oh, God. <laughs> but that's the problem, you see, because hey, you do so much. How about this? Hold on. Could you oh, later no. maybe uh, get me on the press list, and we'll, yeah, and, no, we'll no. and I'll run an article, and maybe we can follow up with it. Yeah, and totally. And you can talk first. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that we have announced, because there's something we haven't announced, which which we just negotiated, there, which We can't say, well, will there be more uh, Tenth Doctor? Yeah. Who knows? God knows. You know, it totally depends on Dave's availability and whether or not he wants to do it we'll see and have you thought about or I shouldn't say have you thought about has Matt Smith ever said because he's been no, saying I left too soon yeah yeah no we've we've um, we've talked to Matt Smith's agent it's not quite the right time for him I would hope he would do it and I think he would do it my son would love that um, but and, and I, I want Matt Smith to come back I really do um, I'd hope he would do it um, but there is no guarantees at the moment um, Chris Eccleston has very politely said no. I was going to ask that, but I thought that would be an awkward question. Very politely. He was very <laughs> lovely about it. But it's not for him at the moment. At the moment. Um, let's yeah, keep that up. well, this is the thing you see. Tom Baker said no for 10 years. You know, so 
Um, and that's know, I won't give up on Chris. And, and, oh, good. And, but that's the amazing thing about when you say Tom Baker. It's like, mm. I, I remember coming here two years ago and Nicholas Br- Briggs said, and he still has the voice. You know, and, and it was just like, he does. Yes. It doesn't sound no, like no. he's aged at all. He's enjoying himself immensely doing it. And we're, we've recorded number series and we've got more to do. So um, Tom right. is really wonderful. And him and Louise are getting on incredibly well. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's lovely to have Tom back because he was my doctor, basically. I, I, first Doctor Who I saw was the, the final season. Actually, I worked out the first Doctor Who I ever saw on television was the repeat of The Sea Devils, which then they came back for John Pertwee's last season. And I saw most of the last season of John Pertwee. And then uh, I remember John turning into Tom Baker and being completely flummoxed by that. And then everyone fell in love with Tom Baker's portrayal, as we all did. And it's um, the rest is history, as they say. But it's, um, it's great working with Tom. It really is. And I, I am a bit sad that we never got a chance to work with John Pertwee because I think Pertwee would have loved it and all this. And that, you know, have you talked to Sean? I mean, I, I, because I know there are fans that say that wouldn't be mm. neat if Sean came back to play his father. Just he won't step in his father's boots. Okay. Um, and I can understand that, but yeah. it just would be fun. Well, thank you. I know no we got a signing coming here. Let us wrap up. Thank you so thank much you for taking much. the time. And the next conversation I had. Um, it's funny. I went into an alcove that I remember you and I recording. Uh, uh, the interview with Dan Starkey a couple of years ago. And I remember being recorded very well and not being that active, active a corner, but it turned out to be a very active corner. So I apologize for the sound of people coming in and out of the kitchen. Um, with Chris Thompson, this is the first year that Titan comics, which has been held the doctor who comics license for a few years has come out to Gallifrey one. And they had a dealer's table and brought out just a, a ton of material. And it was one of the, a weird moment when I realized, wow, yeah, for all this, for Gallifrey One having things like people dealing in Big Finish Audio and uh, what was that group we met a couple of years ago that do the videos? Um, I know I have a link to them on uh, on the website. Uh, so this was the first year, uh, I'm, I'm going to look for that right now uh, so I can remember what the name of it is because I was listening to the Big Finish podcast and they even reference this because there's a tightly knit community of fans time travel tv oh that's uh, right yeah yes yeah remember yeah, yeah um, some really cool products and so it was just weird to me to go wait a minute titan hasn't been here titan's been so you know i've been buying all their doctor who stuff but you and i both got excited a couple months ago right when they announced that uh, they were doing anno dracula that kim newman who has written these great uh kind of wold newton shared universe books uh Said with Dracula um, is actually telling new stories set in that universe uh, directly to Titan Comics, as well as their continuing Hammer Horror. And Hammer Studios is actually considering those comic books as direct continuations of their monster film series. In addition to they do Assassin's Creed, uh, I'm going to lose track of everything else they do too, But because mostly I focus on Doctor Who. But uh, So I said I sat in a corner and talked with uh, Chris Thompson and had a really good conversation. And one of those where it, after we stopped recording, just talked about our fandom. So, uh, Chris Thompson. It's always the time where you you want to you want to leave the, the you want to say let's stop talking, but we'll leave the recorder going because this is the best part. I know, 
but it's only the best part for us. <laughs> so, <laughs> Chris Thompson. I'm here with Chris Thompson, who is the brand manager at Titan Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I guess. Uh, as brand manager, you are not one of the founders of the comics line. You've come in, right? Exactly. So I just want to get this straight. Up until a year, year and a half ago, you ran, uh, were at Orbital Comics, yep. Eisner, uh, Eisner Award winning, the Spirit of Retail Award winning. Uh, you know, That's right. Orbital comics. Yeah. Right. No. In, in fact, I only left last September. So uh, essentially, I had been. So six months, five months. Yeah. It's. Five months, really. Okay. Yeah, essentially it's five months. It's, it's gone so fast. But, uh, yeah, I was at Orbital Comics. I was the events and uh, marketing and, and various things manager. And it had been my goal to work towards us getting the Eisner Spirit of Retail Award. And sure enough, first year I nominated us. We went all the way and, and won the thing, much to my surprise. And then it's like, well, what do I do now? <laughs> And uh, you've reached the pinnacle of the comics retail. Yeah, it's kind of like there's there's nothing more I can do there. But on the publishing side, it's like there's a whole new set of challenges. There's a whole new kind of thing I could explore. And you know, very fortunately, I, I spoke to the guys at Titan, and they were keen, and they they found a new role for me. That essentially my remit was to do what I had done at Orbital, but for them. Okay, and for those listening who. I can't imagine wouldn't be aware of Titan's flagship, shall we say, is Doctor Who. The exactly, and yes. And we are here at Gallifrey One, so it's logical that you're here. Um, but it's not just Doctor Who. So no. let's go through it. You've got Penny Dreadful, and you've got Assassin's Creed. Yep, we have the Hard Case Crime. We have the Titan, Hammer Titan. Horror line. We have Robotech coming up. I mean, we do a lot of licensed books, but I, I know, at least in my case, I'm really fortunate that I'm working on licenses that I really love and believe in and am passionate about outside of work. So I, I love this stuff. So I'd grown up on Robotech, so when I found we had that, it was like, ah, oh, man, this is right in my wheelhouse. I mean, Doctor Who I've been into as long as comics. I realized that coming here to Gallifrey One, I'd always wanted to come because it's such a well-known and... You know, well uh, loved and, and respected show, and in coming here, it's my, it's I've been to Doctor Who shows on three continents now. So I've been back in Australia, in the UK, and now here, and and so as a fan, I'm I'm just as happy to come as someone doing it for my work. Now, as a fan, thank you. You're going to give me a, a perspective, and it's not to say I'm not fishing for oh, the US is best, uh, but. Been in three different locations. Okay, for yeah. shows, how do they compare? What's like? What I can say? What are the differences in fandoms when you go from continent to continent? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. So the Australian cons are just very small, and you have very minimal sort of number of guests. So you'll have maybe two or three <laughs> guests maximum, uh, and that's it. So they're very nice. They're very pleasant. Australians were all laid back. We're pretty cool. So you you have a lot of fun when you go to the UK. The shows actually aren't that much bigger. You kind of think that they're going to be massive there. And they certainly did do one BBC official big event, you know, a couple of years ago. But other than that, the ones they have there, they have a fair number of guests, but they're a lot smaller. And in some ways that's great because you do get that little bit more intimate thing where you might be at dinner and Louise Jameson is, is kind of like right there with you as opposed to being in an area where you well, pay this, to, this to happen here because there's no place else for her to go. 
Well, that's, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> you know, it's raining. We're trapped in this hotel. For the, I, I tell you, the, well, no, the rain, the rain has trapped us in here. I mean, <laughs> I, I wanted to run out and have a greasy Denny's breakfast this morning, and I just couldn't go and do it. And, uh, you know, I shed a little tear. Uh, but There's always I, tomorrow. Having been here for Galley, it's, you know, it's really good. And I think that my favourite part is the really diverse sort of fandom that's here. You have a lot more men, women of all ages, families. I, I think the spread is bigger than I've seen anywhere. And obviously that's indicative of the period in time we're living in uh, and where Doctor Who has, has gone to in that. But I also think it's something about here and how you guys have responded to it. And so it's less people of a certain age and more just... The, there's fans of all ages. Uh, and it is. So, let me, you've said you've been a fan of Doctor Who as long as you've been into comics. Uh, you know, and you're, you're obviously brand manager. You are dealing with a lot of different licenses, all the different doctors citing this. What is it about Doctor Who that you think resonates? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, I, I think, because I, I really think that he's so different. And especially because, you know, he changes and there's different doctors and people will have that's my doctor or whatever. I think he resonates in different ways with different people, which is the perfect part. For me, it was always the fact that, you know, the doctor felt some like someone that you could talk to. Like if you met him, he would talk to you and, and you weren't kind of beneath him. You know, he's this incredible person. He's almost like this celestial celebrity. But he would still just be the same and you know he would grab you and happily take you off in his TARDIS just as much as anyone else there wasn't preferential treatment it wasn't a click or, or anything and uh, I think it was that sort of level of inclusion and just that idea that you could be one of those companions uh, and that they all seemed relatable as well I, I think it was as much about the relatability of the people he was with as, as the Doctor mm-hmm. uh, and that's what kind of worked for me I think well and as working in marketing and we're at the edge of your, your panel that we just attended I just attended <laughs> yes. of yours was up against the sheer speculation of what's going to happen to the Chibnall years <laughs> so when you go with the casting what would you like to see because you're going to it will directly oh. affect you you've got to market <laughs> yeah. the 13th well. doctor or whatever they decide to call jeez you know this her. is um, this is a horrible position because I think the marketing decision about what's going to go on with you know the next doctor is entirely different to what would be nice or progressive or interesting or taking Doctor Who to the next stage I kind of think okay, that let me take the marketing off then let's just say that all right yeah if I were to say name me who you think because I know I, I see the bookies are already uh, going uh, 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 you know name who who would you like to see? Or, or pick three? Because I, I, I don't think it's fair to say one. Okay. I, I mean, if I look at who's been put up so far uh, as, you know, potentials, I like the Ben Wishaw uh, okay. casting idea. I mean, I, from the marketing side, that would work as well. And I, I guess it's hard to switch off that sort of part of my brain. Sure. I, I don't want to see... I, I know people were suddenly going, oh, it's Tilda Swinton. It's Tilda Swinton. And I, I just kind of associate her too much with being Bowie, too much being the ancient one. But more than that, I just associate her as being Tilda Swinton. And I I would find it so hard to switch off that that's Tilda Swinton, not the Doctor. Okay, that's interesting. Particularly with her. the Doctor has to be bigger than the actor. I think so. 
I, I think so, and that's why we're with Ben Whishaw. Yes, he's been Q in the, the Bond films. For Brits, he was in Nathan Barley. He's had these various roles, but I don't think any of them would, uh, you know, sort of over, overshadow the Doctor. And I, I don't think the, the Ben Whishaw persona would overshadow the Doctor either. I think you could buy him as the Doctor, and he is that every man that you want him to be. Or... I get it. I understand that there, there should be an every person, and, and I would love to see the Doctor being a woman, and I can't see why they wouldn't do that. But I have this terrible suspicion that the BBC isn't ready to do that yet. Okay. I, I look forward to it, um, but I... I and, and I, I want to clarify for the interview, be. you don't have any inside information. I want that clear. Yeah. So... <laughs> This yes. is just this is this is, this is speculating. This is, this is nothing. I don't want to get exactly. No, no, no. <laughs> this is speculation. So you know, as it, it, I joked with you yesterday, I said you know, Doctor Who is the shared universe that is always the same character. You are running five to six different titles a month, mm-hmm. and the difference between it being, say, like Superman and action comics, and Superman and Batman is. Every title still says Doctor Who, but it's still a very di- it's a different character in, in, in each one. Yeah. What do you think as brand manager is the marketing like the, the peak saturation per month? Because if you're a Doctor Who fan, I think you're buying them all. And yeah. I know why. So you know that as question is at what point would you say yeah we 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 can't sell we shouldn't be marketing twenty Doctor Who titles a month. I kind of think where at the right balance at the moment where basically you've got 9, 10, 11 and 12 running ongoing and then we usually have a mini series going or about to launch and so maximum you're going to have is 5 books a month that's almost a weekly thing which, you know, Doctor Who in our ideal world would just be a weekly thing all the time as opposed to, you know, 3 months a year or whatever it is if only those pesky actors (laughs) would uh, get on the stick Uh, (laughs) And, and luckily we can have more of it in comics, which I, I think is kind of the beauty of it. But you don't have to buy it all in that you can follow your favorite doctor or a particular doctor, or you can dip in and out and enjoy, you know, a series of adventures of the ninth, then go for a series of adventures with the tenth. But I, I understand, I mean, as a completist, I own all the DVDs, you know, with the big finished stuff, I want to try and follow all of them if I possibly can. With the comics, you know, I, I get the compulsion to want to do that as well. And I kind of think we're at the right point. I wouldn't want to be pushing out more, but we do want to give entertainment for, for those that are Doctor Who fans and crave more stories. And, and I kind of think we all do, because as much as Eccleston, well, not Eccleston at least, but, but Tennant, Matt Smith had a great run. You know, Eccleston's was quite short. You want to be able to see more of these guys as the Doctor. And I think our writers and artists manage to capture, you know, their sort of uh, visual and uh, spoken language in such a way that it's it's the voice and the mannerisms of each of those I Doctors. I do see and hear the, each actor. I think that's been a great... Yeah. You know, and getting that sense of personality. Do you ever bump up against, like with the BBC... But we just mentioned Big Finish, because I, I talked to the guys about Big Finish earlier today. Right. Do you bump up against a sense of continuity? I love that the Doctor is set up so that you can have all these non-canon, or they mm. could be canon, stories. They're canon, because it's old. Because there's these huge gaps in the show. Yeah. They say, like, yeah. oh, we disappeared, and we went, we were there for ten years doing this, you know, or the, maybe they'll reference it, but do you feel like you're bumping up? Does anybody, is there somebody basically 
coordinating and saying this happened here or this. Yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, ev- everything has to be approved. And in, in the sense of it going through approvals, then it does exist as canon. So while it's not all immediately sort of acknowledged and you don't suddenly hear, say, Peter Capaldi referring to companions that mm-hmm. uh, David Tennant had in the, the comics that, uh, that we've done, there, there is still that uh, it, it fits in continuity. Like, I was so excited, if you use the Big Finish example, when you had... What was the McGann show? Was it Night of the Doctor? I was just about and, to say And they suddenly acknowledged. referencing, you know, it was like a few companion names, and it's like Kira's, and you're like, oh my god, okay, I know this but is the audience. But I haven't counted them all yet. I'm still in season one of Big Finish with McGann. Right. I'm jumping around, and so my son and I are discovering that, and he's really like, what's the mystery? You know, who's, yeah. who's this? We haven't even gotten to the next event. You know, we're still dealing with the first one. And and so it, it is all continuity. It is canon. It does count. And and what's beautiful is our writers and artists are actually Doctor Who fans, which is why it's. I, I think the stuff is so good. And if you look at it, you'll see that it is. Like, if you're a fan of their other comics work, some of their Doctor Who stuff almost eclipses their other work and I don't mean that in a bad way, it's just that they're so passionate, they're putting so much in. But I, I think of something like uh, Nick Abadzis writing The Tenth Doctor. He has done it in such a way, and I was explaining to someone at the table today, that basically the point at which his story begins with the Tenant era and the point at which he knows he comes back, if you were to watch the TV show knowing what the arc of Tenant is in the comics... His, his performance in the later part will actually reflect what happened in the comics before. So it's being, if you can... It's, it's a difficult one to explain. It's very timey-wimey. But, uh, but yeah, essentially there is that thing that if you know where the comics endpoint is and then you watch Tennant's performance from then on, I, I feel that he, he acts with the weight of what happened to him in the comics. And, and that... That only comes from writers that are really trying to explore their pocket perfectly. Well, we know Rachel Stott mentioned yesterday mm. that um, Capaldi reads his books. Yes. So, does Tennant? Does, does Smith? I, do you know what? I, I don't actually know in, in that regard. Capaldi's been a little bit more... Uh, I, I don't want to say fanboyish, but, you know, essentially, like, in a, in a good way, yeah, yeah, he, he is. You're uh, just describing him as an actor is exactly what your creators are doing on the book. Yes. No, he, yeah, and in, in that regard, I guess they are all equally fans. I mean, I think Tennant in particular was always known as a fan. He did Big Finish stuff before he ever yeah. did Doctor Who, and he did that because he, he loved Doctor Who. I would imagine he still keeps tabs. But, but given his profile, he probably has to be a little quieter about it. Whereas Capaldi is, is just, you know, I am the Doctor 24-7, at least for the moment still. Yeah. And, and so I can just, you know, surrender to this and, uh, and so, give in. So what can we look forward to from Titan? What's the next you know, big push with Doctor? We just finish up the Cybermen crossover. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hang on, you're gonna have to edit this bit just so I know. Uh, if I can, you can edit. Can you? I can. Do you edit after the fact? I'm just gonna pause it. Okay. We just clarified the security of this recording. All right, go ahead. Yeah, I see. We are here at the Gallifrey Show, and we are about to have the Titan Comics panel this evening, where I'm going to tease some of the upcoming stuff. And uh, so, since you know, by the time you're hearing this. 
that information will have already come out. It's fine to be able to tease, but uh, you know, in terms of we've just finished the third Doctor mini series, which was Paul Connell and Christopher Jones, and we have worked out that the next Doctor mini series that's coming later in the year. I don't want to spell it out completely, but I was walking through the office and I heard the term master plan being bandied around and I was like, what, what, say what? And uh, so we had a little bit of a discussion about that and all I can say is that uh, from what I hear, it's going to be ace. Ah, I, right. I, I think that kind of gives Thumbs you an up. idea. Oh, no, that's good, that's good. All right, well, cool. And thank you so much for this time. Chris. Thank and, you, Derek. Uh, and at the Titan Comics panel, one of the things that came out, and I hadn't really, I don't know if they had really done a press release on this or not, but I, I've mentioned Paul Cornell, having been a lot, he was a long-time Doctor Who fan, who was one of those keeping the flame alive, and of course we've respected him immensely as a, as a comic book writer for quite some time, aside from a, is he a Hugo Award-winning television writer? Did he win a Hugo for the Family of Blood? Uh, human nature I, I don't know but you know in comics he did for vertigo uh saucer country which is coming back as i think saucer nation uh-huh. uh from dark horse and last year did a really cool series called this damn band uh when i didn't oh, talk yeah. to paul but uh <laughs> i talked to christopher jones who's the artist on the third doctor book the john pertwee one which is paul cornell's licensed character swan song he is uh, the miniseries that just just wrapped up with uh, of the third Doctor is the last time uh, that Paul Cornell is going to write for Doctor Who. Basically, his choice. His choice. Yeah. Yes, because what he he says he wants to focus on his own characters, and I think uh, Christopher Jones uh, talks a little bit about the conversation they had about that, where it is basically that Cornell says, you know, he's got fifteen twenty years of in his mind of a great creativity. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but this kind of thing. It's like he, he should be focusing on the ideas that are in his head instead of forcing those ideas into somebody else's frame as much as he loves that stuff. So if you hadn't picked up the third doctor book, which was really fun, um, you know, this is the last time that Cornell who's a great doctor who writer is going to write. So, uh, but Christopher Jones, great artist in his own right. He's also done, uh, young justice and, uh, the Batman Strikes, I think, was what uh, um, DC called their adaptation of the Batman animated series. So um, I think you're right. Yeah. So a good conversation, Christopher Jones, and uh, there was a little couple of contributions from Travis Ritchie, uh, Inspector Space Time. So Christopher Jones here at Gallifrey One with uh, Christopher Jones artist on the third Doctor comic and uh, Young Justice and uh, many other things that I'm, because the sign's not reminding me exactly of everything I, I you know, that I probably bought. Uh, oh, there we go. Wait, uh, The Batman Strikes, Avengers, uh, and I don't know. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so we've also got Travis Ritchie over his shoulder. He may say things. I don't know. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Christopher, it's interesting because on the panel yesterday there was a lot of conversation about how well you know John Pertwee's body language. So my first question 
at Gallifrey One is what got you, because you're American, I'm American, and how did you get into Pertwee, of all things? Well, I've, and, I've spent my life studying the mannerisms and body language of John Pertwee. No, I... I, uh, I have, Pertweeology? Are you a Pertweeologist? I, you know, I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was a kid. Um, like a lot of Americans, the first Doctor I had the opportunity to see was Tom Baker. But I, I always love vintage stuff. A lot of my favorite pop culture is stuff that was created before I was ever born. So I was immediately interested in seeing anything I could of the, of the earlier Doctors. And honestly, I love them all. When I first started talking to Titan Comics there was a potential of me doing some covers for them, and they said, do you care which doctor? I'm like, no, I really don't. I love all of them. Uh, but it was Titan that approached me with the offer to do specifically a third doctor series, and I jumped at it. I, you know, I've been a professional comic artist for over 20 years, but this is the first time I've had a chance to do anything officially of Doctor Who. And uh, you know, it was great getting that opportunity, but then specifically to get that story with you know that script by Paul Cornell was just a treat beyond anything I could have hoped for. I know you get kind of a, I mean it's weird to say this, but it's the, the swan song of Paul Cornell writing Doctor Who, basically. Yes, and I I uh, would have been motivated to do the best job I could anyway, but <laughs> boy, you slapped no, off no, on one panel. Yeah, no you? no extra pressure, Paul. <laughs> Just, you know, delivering the swan song to your entire Doctor Who career. And there's there's specifically a scene at the end of our last issue where um, Paul kind of makes a farewell speech and it comes out of the Doctor's mouth. And uh, it's a very nice moment, and I tried my best to do it justice. Yeah, did you know that intention going in, though? That yes, this be yes. Okay. I, I don't know that when... Um, I was first approached about the comic, I knew that, but early on I had a chance to chat with Paul, and he's, he explained that uh, he's wanting to focus on uh, creator-owned stuff. I mean, as he, as he explains it, he figures he has 20 or 25 really prime years left in him in his writing career. Well, you know, it's easy for him to get around and network and promote things, and as he puts it... Um, it would be easier to fall back on licensed properties like Doctor Who later, so he really wants to prioritize creator-owned stuff now while he can. Yeah. So that's just kind of the mode he's shifting into. Not to not to go too far into explaining Paul's decision. I want to get into yours, but but you know, and that and that uh, definitely was was on my mind as I was working on it. I don't know that it really affected how I approached anything as much as, you know, in addition to wanting to tell a good story for my own purposes, I really wanted to do uh, the best I could by what was going to be, you know, Paul's final word on the Doctor. Right. And when you're you're doing this story with uh, characters that are, you know, faces known. Yes. Um, and again, we talked about the body language because in the panel there was a reference to, oh, you know, could you rub his chin the way he yes. used it with the back of his hand. Did you have, like, photos everywhere, or is it, like, were you a fan drawing uh, well, Pertwee so much? That, as, uh, as any kind of working illustrator, uh, but especially if you're drawing something with established characters and you're trying to do likenesses of actors, uh, Google image search is your friend. Uh, but, the, no, the thing that was great as far as things like those, those little gestures and whatnot... Um, Paul specified a lot of them in his script. It wasn't even like I had to be that on the ball to think of it. 
But thankfully, because I knew it, when he would make a reference to Pertwee having kind of a chagrined smile or rubbing the back of his neck or rubbing his chin with the back of his hand, I knew what that gesture was he was referring to. I wasn't having to kind of make something up that fit the text description. I knew what he meant. And so it just made a real easy shorthand um, for us to... um, evoke the moments and the character nuances that we, we wanted to bring out. Now, as my mind we had, is we had a pause, we had a pause. Uh, yes, I, I believe Christopher Jones' mind. We'll talk about it later on the podcast. Uh, and uh, So let's talk about your next project. You can't really say anything, but you've got something still going with Titan. This is not your swan song well, what I can, with the Doctor. No, what I can say is that... Uh, the, the thing I did just before The Third Doctor was a graphic novel with Tony Lee mm-hmm. uh, called Also Known As, and we had a great time working together, so I'm absolutely delighted that Tony Lee and I will be reuniting for a Doctor Who Universe project. I don't know that it's specifically starring The Doctor, no, I like the way but it is in the Doctor Who universe. All right, so it's the uh, Crisis on Infinite Canines, right? That, that is, I, what I've always wanted to do, we've had multi-doctor stories, we're actually going to unite all the models of canine in one story together. And as I, 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 story spoiler, they all run out of power on page four and then don't move for the rest of the story. It's sort of like when John Byrne drew like Alpha Flight in the snow. <laughs> yeah, you just photostat the same. Well, <laughs> things in the background will move. Just canine oh, okay, will okay. be. Yeah, no, no, no. That's not it at all, of course. But uh, yeah, we we were we we were hoping we were going to be able to announce it, but we're actually waiting for the final sign off from the BBC to to make it public. So uh, it's very exciting. I think fans are going to get really excited when they hear what it is. But for right now, all we can say is that there's there's something in the works. We think it's going to be great, and we're really looking forward to doing it. And paying attention to Chris Thompson telling me later what it is. Not not today, but you know, yes. when he can. Uh, yeah, we will. When when we can announce it wide, we will be doing the opposite of keeping it a secret. <laughs> and if you uh, if you got your choice, I mean, Tony and you pitched this, but if, if uh, Titan came back and said, "Now, which doctor would you like to tackle?" It would honestly. My answer would depend on which day it is, uh, because uh, so they come back on a Tuesday. Someone finds out that you're a Doctor Who fan, and the very first question they ask you is, "Who's your favorite Doctor?" And I swear up and down, I do Chris not have asked one. Me that question. And, well, I mean, <laughs> the first, my first Doctor was Tom Baker, mm-hmm. and I probably saw all of his stories through three times over before I had a chance to see anyone else. So. You know, of course, your first doctor always occupies a, a, fa- a certain special spot in your heart. But I like different. I like the qualities of different doctors so much. I like different doctors for different things. So, um, you know, it was great getting to do the third doctor. Would I be happy doing more third doctor? Absolutely. But I would love to tackle the seventh, the twelfth. I, I would draw. Pe- I would draw Peter Cushing adventures as Doctor Who if they let me. What if they went forward in like the twentieth, and you could create your own? That would be amazing. Sure, <laughs> we have no no say in this, but you know it's no. just a spitball. All right, but I'll let you I'll let you go here. Thanks for taking some time here in the midst of doing business. Happy to do it. Great talk with you. Mm-hmm. So you had a good time at uh, Gallifrey. I I think so. Despite the fact we were, uh, you know, there's no better place to be holed up in the middle of the worst storm in. Uh, 
in the last what decade of California. Yeah, <laughs> you know, than to be in a hotel where you don't have to step outside. It's great. <laughs> It'd be one of those great movie moments when you're done with the convention, you walk out the front door, and the whole city's just been leveled. Uh, it felt that way because you know, saw you saw on uh, Facebook people posting that you know, five blocks away from where I stay in Los Angeles was where the sinkhole opened up. Uh huh. And you see, you know, footage of two cars going in. I'm like, will you be able to get home? Uh, Will there be streets left? Sounds like a Um, Resident Evil movie opening. Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, I I made reference to having uh, camped in the snow with my son. And we got back and we watched footage of what was going on in San Jose in the storm last week. And, of course, we were fine where we were. But I'm like, well, that's why relatives from all over the country have been calling. And saying, are you okay? Because they see these things of, you know, people uh, in de- basically downtown San Jose, uh, you know, on boats. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Wait, how's that? You know, and we should mention, if this gets out in time, you know, Drew Campbell, who's been on the podcast a few times, directed a show where the theater was actually underwater. Yes. And uh, the San Jose Stage Company has volunteered to allow them to kind of it's He's, truncated, but still finish a run of Oleana, David Mamet's, Mamet's play, play yeah. at uh, San Jose Stage Company, stepping stepping up because where it was, Northside Theater Company is underwater, and um, I'm sure it's not underwater now, but there's so much damage as yeah. a result that you know it, it's a crazy storm. I'm just taking a picture of a chunk of uh, Highway One uh, collapsed into the ocean, <laughs> like. The joke of the Independent Spirit uh, Film Spirit uh, Independent Spirit Awards, uh, Nick Kroll saying, "You know, we're we're on a tent, uh, we're Hollywood elite in a tent on on the beach. If we leaned any more to the left, <laughs> <laughs> we would literally fall into the ocean." <laughs> so it's like it's not funny right now, man. It's just not funny <laughs> so, on a number of levels. Oh uh, yeah, uh, but yes, it was it was very fun um, and. It, and there was a great panel that was just, and this is why I like obscure cons, you know, it's not the Gallifrey ones that obscure, but sometimes you go to a panel that's like, that's kind of weird, but I'll go. Scary Monsters and Super Geeks, and they talked about David Bowie's influence or relationship to Doctor Who, which some of it was a stretch, but some of it was, oh, that's really interesting because it was also more about how the people that had worked on the show, because David Bowie was on like Top of the Pops at the same time uh, that um, oh the the companion before Sarah Jane uh, for John Pertwee oh. and, she, and she was on a Sarah Jane Adventures and oh I, it's such a really neat lady and I can't think of the actress's name but she was uh, she was talking about how she was at the BBC studios same time Bowie. Walked, you know, walked in, and Bowie was a fan of Doctor Who, and so all these kinds of conversations. And then somebody had brought up at a previous panel that Paul McGann, in his performance in the Fox movie, was uh, I can hear you researching this right now. Yeah, uh, sorry, it, it <laughs> was in, in the Fox movie. Somebody Liz Shaw, said, Liz Shaw, she and who, by the way, dated Jimi Hendrix when she was in art school. Um, you know, that was the, one of the things she came out with. Is they were like, what? Uh, the actress, rather, Liz Shaw was the character, right? And um, but anyway, uh, Paul. Somebody said Paul McGann told Paul McGann, you know, when you did your portrayal, of the Doctor was very unearthly. It was sort of like, 
you know, it, it was almost like uh, the man who fell to earth. He said, yeah, that was exactly what he was trying to do. And then on stage in this panel, uh, Nicholas Pegg, who was one of the Dalek operators and kind of a BBC historian, said, you know, uh, they originally approached David Bowie to play the master in your movie. And you just have seen McGann's face fall. Like, wow. what? I was almost you know, <laughs> facing off against David Bowie. Oh, that would have been you know amazing. Um, and I'd say the one thing that kept getting repeated over and over was like people asking McGann, well, if they did do a series, if they asked you to do a series, would you? you know, and he's like, well, why not? <laughs> I mean, of course. You know, it's like, so that was uh, it, it, it was a a fun fun convention, um, but enough about Gallifrey One because we lost Nate Costa completely. In this. Uh, you know, <laughs> by going up top with these he's, with these interviews, he's swerved into a sinkhole. Uh, he's gone. He's gone. Uh, so well, he's up in Santa Clarita. So and he's probably on the Santa Clarita diet. No, uh, let's talk a little bit about comics, which is just let's catch up um, with what's in the bag. So what's uh, we realize it's been a cup uh, like a week and a half at least since we recorded. So there may be some carryover from two weeks ago uh, because piles get shifted, bags get mixed up. Um, <laughs> but at least we'll talk about comics that maybe you should be taking a look at that have been in the last week, maybe two weeks. Forgive us, we're older and can't remember which stack we, we reached into. So go ahead, Rick. What's uh, what's first on your stack this the week? The first one I've I have. All three of mine are number ones this week. And so I have the first issue of Super Sons, which is Peter J. Tomasi and Jorge Jimenez. I think so. Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, and uh, this is this is exactly what I was expecting it to be. You have two characters uh, in uh, John and Damien who are fairly much opposite opposite ends of the spectrum powered unpowered dark bright uh strong american style family um psychotic father with uh butler um you know there's just like there's no middle ground except for they both have uh, the love of being adventuring superheroes um they they tease each other just perfectly. Uh, John is always able to mention that he's a little taller than Damien is. Um, uh, this is just uh, this is just a wonderful book. And if I can't have Batman and Robin, I will live with Super Sons. So, well, um, I'd rather you know. I again, the older I get, the more I think I would rather live with Super Sons because it's moving it forward. Yeah. into something into something new and uh, that's and that's what I love to see uh, because I've clearly complained about this many times of like oh I'm just caught in a cycle uh, you know I remember when you told that story before this is one we haven't seen before one character dynamic we have not um, my next recommendation this is a side unseen but more uh, I love the creators but I'm a little annoyed with Marvel uh, so I, this is a this is a backhanded compliment of uh, Chip Zdarsky writing Doctor Strange as part of the Monsters Unleashed uh, crossover, and uh, so I, I feel like I can't go wrong with Chip Zdarsky. I have enjoyed everything I've I've read by this guy, and but what I'm annoyed with is that it was automatically put in my bag because it just says Doctor Strange, and uh-huh. you have to catch that it's number one point MU. 
Right. And this is what I hate about crossovers. And Marvel right. last week whined, and I'm going to say that. I'm going to take a bold, bold stand, like a lot of other comics journalists did. Com- the Comics Pro meeting was at the same time as Gallifrey One, uh, Gallifrey One and uh, the Long Beach Comic Con. And, and at the Comics Pro, that's the meeting of uh, organization of retailers, Marvel complained that the reason that they've lost market share is because of DC's returnability pro- uh, policy. But, you know, to me, the real thing is, no, you've... Uh, I look at this, I didn't pay attention because these books go into my stack. I paid four ninety nine for an extra Doctor Strange book right. as part of a crossover that I wasn't planning on. Right. And this is why I think people are getting annoyed. Marvel's doing some great work, and, and, and we've, we've praised them for their diversity and their interesting books and their intriguing storylines. But they're also just, they're killing a, milking a cash cow, killing a golden goose. You know, it's like, it's got to give. I almost did you one better on that book because um, I had told my comic dealer, Hijinks Comics, hey, Neil, um, that I was not interested in any of the Monsters Unleashed titles. Mm-hmm. And they've been really good about not putting them in my bag, not putting them in my stack. Um, but I always, I get my books and then I walk uh, around right. the store just to see if there's anything else that I that I didn't know right. about or anything they missed, and I picked up the Doctor Strange issue thinking they had missed it because mm-hmm. it's not obvious looking at it quickly that it's a Monsters Unleashed book until I I went and I said didn't this just come out and he goes no and I said oh it's it's one MU and I yeah. put it back on the shelf. But I almost did that to myself. You at least had somebody else foisting it upon you. Yes, uh, I was passive, but I'm very passive. Well, it was one that I thought I'm enjoying Monsters Unleashed as an idea, yeah, as a series. But it, it, it is, you know, is, I, what I don't look at is the price, and then go, am I going to miss out? And the thing is, like, my son's not on the MCU app, and so when I put something back that I know he'd like, I feel kind of bad because I'll catch up with it six months from now. Yeah, and the way it, I read exactly. comics, and the way I read comics, that's not going to be a, a huge loss to me. But a lot of the comics I buy, I buy because man, I'm, you know, I'm my son is filled with the love of this stuff. In fact, in my stack this week is a recommendation from my son, and we're gonna, I think, we'll have him at um, Silicon Valley Comic Con as part of the podcast. You know, so uh, it's. I, so I just don't catch those things so much, as well. I don't look so much because I'm like, he is loving Doctor Strange. So, of course, I'm going to throw that in there, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's, yeah, it, it's a disappointment, even as I'm sure I'm going to actually love this book. So, uh, you know. Well, do they have the really older Doctor Strange stuff that he could read on the uh, Unlimited? But my point is he says that he doesn't read Unlimited. Right, he comes. Right, right. He kind of, he, you know, he gets me, and he's like, "Where's the stack? What did you? What did we buy this week?" And the thing yeah. is, and we've talked about this, kids. They're not actually really interested in going back in the old stuff. They want to know what's happening now. And I, you know, I, and so with my son in particular, I've tried to get him to read. I've got uh, essentials, uh, you know, essential editions that he could read, and he he won't do it. Huh. So. He, he he wants what is the now. And, of course, there is so much now that, yeah, it's all he can do to keep up with. Well, I can't keep up. It's all he can do to keep up with what we get each week. So, yeah. Next on your stack. Next on my stack is 
a book that constantly amazes me that I buy it, but I always enjoy the heck out of it. I finally kind of put together why. So this is issue number one of Starstruck, Old Prolders Never Die. And that word is Prolder, P-R-O-L-D-I-E-R-S. Um, which, I, you know, they did a revamp of the original Star Trek, uh, Starstruck, Starstruck yeah. uh, book. They, I, I know I bought a, a, a redone... Um, yeah, being repainted or, yeah, or recolored by Lee Moyer. Yeah. And um, who's this, a guest at Bacon last year. Right, so. right. So this is this is also, it is Elaine Lee, uh, Mike Kaluta, and Lee Moyer. And, you know, the story in this is amazingly complex and obscure, and it is a fully re- realized future world that is at once futurific and an old version of what we thought of as futurific. Um, but full futuristic futuristic pardon me um, <laughs> i like that you've coined that though i think we've got a, t- a podcast title. it's it's futurific <laughs> um the the um it's definitely adult there's a lot of nudity in here and there's a lot of sex um and but the characters are so well defined in their oddities and consistent and you know there's there must be like thick bibles on every one of these as to how they are supposed to react and things just carry over issue to issue but the artwork the artwork is just so amazingly drippingly is this a new star trek starstruck this is a brand new a brand new series um saying our story so far this is okay uh, yeah very cool so is that out of dark horse yes it's idw IDW, okay. And, uh, and of course, uh, they always do um, a lot of prose back uh, story and notes in this. And there, there's, there's several pages that will, are just, if you haven't read it before, there are pages of paragraphs of each character's descriptions uh, explaining who they are, what's, what's been going on with them. And so you can kind of pick this up and just, if you don't mind flipping back and forth a little bit, this is... Uh, if you want to put the time into actually understanding it, but you can also just read it for, like, the scenery. Mm. I'm not being sarcastic, not at all. No, no, I know. I, the Kaluta and Moyer together, that is lush, yeah. lush art. I know that. I know that. And, and so well, that's cool. Um, I'm going to go with one we really haven't talked about much, but believe it or not, it has reached reaches 100th issue last last week. Ah. And so I picked this up and read it and realized this is a title that I love, was very behind on, but the beautiful thing is you can pick it up almost anywhere, which, amazing. Okay, it's the 100th issue, but it's actually number 41 in its current arc in, um, incarnation, which is Astro City. Oh, okay. Buschek and Anderson with yeah. uh, covers by Alex Ross. It's yeah. issue 41 of their Vertigo series, but it's also been... Wildstorm, and I can't. I, I don't know if that's where it started. Um, I can't remember. I just know that I've I've got everything. I've loved everything, and and again, what I was struck by was uh, you know my son uh, read it first, and I don't like that it's a Vertigo book because you think it's Vertigo, then it's not appropriate for kids, and it's uh, I think actually just fine for a middle schooler to pick up. Because it is about heroism, it is always about looking at a different thing, but it is a book about a city. 
So as an anthology, uh, this is the uh, origin of why they they used to call it Remain Falls, uh, the, the city they live in. Uh, and and in sometime in the late 40s, it was changed to Astro City. And so this is the reason why it's called Astro City. Oh. And uh, and I was just reading this going, again, I probably have, I, though I've been buying it, um, been reading it sporadically, spottily, need to go back and catch up. But again, I could, I, you can pick this up, and it's a perfect launching, uh, jumping on point. Well, if you actually, if you started reading with issue one, you started off mid-story. You know, right. It was. It's and, no different, really, than picking it up at any other point in the story. And it jumps. You know, it jumps around from character to character and tells little side corners and some of Kurt uh you know, best writing and so, and some of Brent Anderson's best art. And it still is. I mean, it just gets better and better. So it's one of those when you say, "Oh, it's issue forty-one." Uh, you know, it's like it, it's not too complex to pick up. And as far as it's a solid done-in-one read. Even though you know, there's like, oh, you're going to want to read more. Um, it's just a, it, it's a great, great issue and a great standalone read. So I want to give props to uh, Kurt Busiek and Brent Anderson and Alex Ross on covers uh, for you know that that guy, Alex Ross. Um, <laughs> you know that uh, guy. It, it was just, it's just great. Oh, have you seen his Batman '66, Wonder Woman '77, oh, yeah. Superman '55 painting? Right. With no, George Reeves. wait a minute. No, I haven't. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the cover of uh, no Superman, uh, Batman's Wonder Woman sixty six. No, he did a painting with uh, George Reeves flying over them, oh. and it's just like, oh, now that's the that's the crossover series I want to see. Put those three together. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's, wow. It's been going around Facebook and the comics pages, so uh, I'm sure it'll pop up in your feed eventually. It's it's a beautiful thing. Cool. Uh, let's go to the next on your stack. So the. The last of the number ones that I have this week is feeding a fandom of mine that hasn't been fed in far too long. And it is something that I was so devastatingly into. I never missed a movie or an episode of the TV show. Casper the Friendly Ghost? Or any of the paperback books or the collectible card game. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, No. Highlander. Uh, Highlander. I didn't know there was a collectible card game. That's what. Th- oh yeah, that's one of the things that threw me off. A crazy. Uh, it was a great collectible card game because you had these cards in it that if you wanted to use them, you had to tear them in half. Well, because it could only be one. Right, right. That was that was. Uh, you could use it to avoid a quickening. I, I'm, I'm going to say though, you know, the thing is that 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 franchise really did lose me after Highlander two. Um. I didn't. The movies I watched them all, and I enjoyed them on different levels. Uh, I loved the TV series. I, I watched the TV series all the way through, and I was really disappointed at the way they reintegrated that the, those characters in the later movies. They never really, um, because a lot of people forget that the early episode, the first episode of the TV series, had both um, both McLeods. Mm-hmm. in it kind of a passing of the torch uh scene and, and then he came back and, and then they, they came, came back, back together and it made no sense whatsoever no i mean well see highlander too but uh, so. so this is uh brian ruckley uh writer and artist andrea moti and mm, yeah i like and it's uh you know it's the artwork is serviceable and we've got the elements of uh 
of the immortals here and of course in storytelling of the highlander you've got to do a flashback and most of the book is flashback so um this is uh this is uh, boding well for people who like me have missed uh getting their highlander fix for far too long all right there we go um then my last book is actually the, the uh, Kid Macaw recommendation, uh, which was from the backseat as we were driving along. He read and said, Dad, you have to read this. And he got me up to speed so that I could. I still haven't, but I will. Um, is straightforward, Batman. And, it, and one of the reasons that I was th- you know, thinking, well, this makes perfect sense from his perspective. Because er- everything is not, my son doesn't say, it's just Batman, it's 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 rebirth batman everything is always with rebirth in it because that's how he's reading the title right you know <laughs> and so it's the i am bane crossover and i and i uh. realized you know for this next generation of readers this is the first real definition of bane for them and it also involves psycho pirate and there's the moral complexity of uh of Catwoman, and so uh, you know, I think we have talked about how, for the most part, there have been a couple things that maybe have uh, I would consider a, a misfires, missteps, but minor ones. Um, what they've been doing with the with the main trinity, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, have all been great. But this one just called out that my son actually said, "Dad, you have to read this." Means they're doing something right. Because if a twelve-year-old is going, this is the best comic I'm reading this week. It's hitting somebody just right. So I want to throw that out there. Um, if, if you're not reading Batman, uh, which you know has occasionally gotten complex uh, and against cyclical, this is going to make a heck of a great trade. Or it's early enough that you can pick up the I, I Am Bane Part One. This is Part Two that just came up came out last week. So it's Batman Number Seventeen. Right. So. I'm actually not, I've, I've been reading up to that point, but I've been holding the Batmans together for their like four issue arcs yeah. to read them all at once because they have been really good. And this is this is a series that had Steve Mix call, uh, ping me one afternoon saying, what are they doing to Batman and Catwoman? And has she always been a, been a mass murderer, you know, serial killer? Like uh, I read, I, I would, I got caught up at that point with him so I could tell him, you know, it's, it's, it's a storyline, dude, you know, don't worry about it. So, um, <laughs> so this is DC. The thing you always remember is this is DC. They can always rewrite reality. It's a good, tr- it's a, you know, it's a, it's like fake news. Um, we need to, uh, we need to develop that ability in the real world. I think, yeah. um, because you know, three years from now, that's not going to be the version of Catwoman. Uh, you know, I, and I realized that I think that that was the original thing in comics. They figured you had a seven, at most, a seven-year arc of readers, and then they'd age out, and the next generation would, you know, the, or the next group would come in. And we just, for a long time, didn't do that. But DC has kind of operated under that seven to ten years. You know, redo, redo. So that means we're comic book immortals. Um, that's nice to think. Hey, can I mention I one more thing? Well, now that you said it, I know I can't stop you, so go ahead. Well, yeah, okay. Um, Wildstorm number one. Did you read it? I I didn't pick it up. I didn't know it was out. I, I, no, one, no one pulled it for me. I have not been happy with Wildstorm since DC picked it up. 
mm-hmm. and this one actually made me happy. But and, this is technically isn't this called the Wild Storm? Right, and but it, it is, is all, it is all the all the Wildstorm characters being brought right. into one one series, as we talked about on the podcast a couple months ago, yeah. being curated by Warren Ellis yeah. and re envisioned by Warren Ellis, who was he the one who originally he yeah he did the Authority in Planetary yes right so I mean if there's any writer that I associate with what makes Wildstorm great, it was War- it was Warren Ellis's work on to me those two fantastic flagship books yeah and you so, don't this is one where he is redoing everything with the same characters and but there's a lot of cool stuff happening right now so yeah I'm, so should we I'm call it storm birth huh storm birth should we just call it like storm birth storm yeah. birth uh wild Rebirth. birth wild yeah, something birth. yeah yeah wild birth let's call it wild birth okay all right yeah uh so, anyway, uh, there is uh, just a little bit of DC movie update because, of course, we are podcasting on the Monday after the Academy Awards. And so we get to say that phrase that if someone had bet money that this phrase would be utterable, they would have become billionaires in Vegas uh, <laughs> because this was such a long shot phrase. Academy Award winning film, Suicide Squad, uh, was... <laughs> Yes, the new DC Universe movies have now won an Academy Award, which is not the first time that a DC movie has won an Oscar. Because let us remember, Heath Ledger won uh, posthumously Best Supporting Actor right. for his portrayal of the Joker in uh, in The Dark Knight. But uh, Suicide Squad won for Best Makeup Design. Um up against some pretty good hitters, you know. It went up against yeah. Star Trek Beyond, which had some nice makeup in it. It did. It did. That was one of the best things about Star Trek Beyond. Um, it, yeah, it's kind of interesting, but it, 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 I'm going to use that as the launch point to say, uh, you know, there was some DC movie news besides Suicide Squad uh, got an Oscar. Uh, it does mean, of course, you know, that's just a weird little bump for the upcoming Gotham Sirens which uh, Suicide Squad uh, director, writer-director David Ayer is going to be doing with, uh, I, I believe it's going to be Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and Black Canary. Um, so that's potentially a sixth movie. The other thing we're going to say, that uh, DC, uh, that Warner Brothers, because again, I really hate when people, uh, there was a panel at Gallifrey One, which was like, it was Cinematic Universe uh, Showdown, that was debating between what was Marvel doing right, what DC was doing right, and I, and again, I, I will say, I, I will remind myself to say this every time we talk about it on the podcast. When Marvel makes a movie, that really is Marvel. When DC Films makes a movie, it's not. It's Warner Brothers. Those are the, you know, it's somebody above them making the decisions that are, uh, you know, I think that's the problem. We haven't yet seen the autonomous DC Films uh, approach to when what you, they plan. When to you do. said this to the audience, did you push your your glasses no, up on your on nose. That. I was not on that. On no, that I'm panel. imagining you standing in the audience. I did not. I don't do that. Okay. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, not when people who were actually writing some of those movies. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry, they weren't writing those movies. But Javier Guillo Marshaus, um, who was a writer on the the Hundred and the creator of uh, the Middleman, was one of the panelists saying that was talking about that. But um, it's just, I mean, you do want to make that, that correction. And the reason is, because like, even when we see Justice League, it's not going to be... Anything with Zack Snyder's uh, imprimatur on it is still going to be 
essentially the previous regime. I don't. I'm not even sure that when we see Wonder Woman, that Wonder Woman is going to be really what is the DC films approach. Uh-huh. I think the potentially frightening Black Adam solo film, which is now their approach <laughs> before they do Shazam, that's gonna. So maybe they're not gonna be better, but uh, maybe the Batman will be, and so that's the, the, where the big news is that they did settle on a director, Matt Reeves, who uh, directed the Planet of the Apes movies, um, or the, the second one, the um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I think that's right. Um, I still haven't seen it. Uh, that's good. But I've heard it is, just just haven't seen it. And uh, so he uh, at first walked away, but apparently it was really just about money. So there's been a lot, there was a flurry of, you know, oh, you know, Warner Brothers must be doing something really wrong. Well, what they're not doing is, you know, is paying somebody enough for the perceived grief because I mean we still don't know what's going on with the Flash movie which probably shouldn't exist anyway, uh, but we know Aquaman is is moving forward. Bat, the Batman is moving forward. There was a lot of controversy that um, that uh, Ben Affleck has said he didn't want to. He was thinking about even dropping out of that. But as was saying before the podcast, is you suddenly realize by the time Ben Affleck gets to the Batman because you got to do justice league that's coming out. Right. Then it's supposed to be a justice league two. I think it's still intended to be a two part film as it once was. Um, and you get to the Batman. We're really talking 2019, 2020 by the time he's gotten to that point and you start talking about a sequel to the Batman, he may be as old or older than Batman in the dark Knight returns. And, it's not the kind of thing whereas you can believe that uh, Robert Downey Jr., as good a shape as Robert Downey Jr. is in, uh, you know, the CG, the armor, does the work for right, a 50-something right, right. Tony Stark. Batman can't get away with that. So, you know, I could see him getting very tired very quickly uh, with that. And by the time he's done, we'll have seen him in the role if he does walk away after the Batman we will have seen him in the role as a leading role in four live-action films, as a supporting role in Suicide Squad, potentially in Gotham City Sirens, um, and so that's six. That's more live-action Batman film performances than any other actor has ever done. So, the to say you brought up Vin Diesel in Fast and Furious. But when you think about it, if they get to seven, Fate of the Furious is seven, right? Mm. He's technically, he's not even in the second one. So if, if that's seven, Vin Diesel has six down for Fate of the Furious. Sean Connery, I think, is eight bonds. But in today's world, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly more than Daniel Craig playing James Bond. So uh, it's kind of, you know, I can see getting tired of it. Fate, Fate is eight. Fate rhymes with eight. Yeah, fate is eight. Oh, right. Okay, what was seven then? Was that... Um, oh. You can tell I really care. Uh, uh, well, it was the one where, you know, they had to do the CG. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, because, yeah. Uh, so, that... Let's see. Yeah, and, and Vin Diesel's only, I don't know, oh, he's only in the closing scene. Of three, the seventh so. one was, they go for really deep titles here, because the seventh one was Furious 7. <laughs> Which is why I like, you know, Fate of the Furious is a really good, actually, a, 
Yeah. It's almost a clever, prosaic uh, title. Um, but the big news, I think, that came out, because this is, again, out of left field, based strictly on, wow, a sudden experience, uh, uh, success that they didn't expect, the director of the Lego Batman movie, Chris McKay, just, boom, last week announced he's going to write and direct Nightwing set in the same cinematic universe. Wow. As the Batman and Justice League. Wait a minute. So while he's Nightwing in the set in the same universe as the Batman. Okay. Your, your pause yes. there threw me off. You know, because I, because he was from the Lego Batman movie. I didn't want to imply right. there was a Lego Nightwing movie coming. There's not, you know, a cinematic universe where everybody's wondering in Batman v Superman, what which Robin is still yeah. alive. Uh, <laughs> if there is one, suddenly you know and and that is the oh it's going to be fun but this throws you know everything again dc warner brothers films dc films just seems to be haphazard like suddenly oh yeah you like that well we're going to do that instead of you know they announced and we've got this plan and they put all these things in place and then we heard well we didn't make a plan in case one of those things failed so I said, with the Flash flailing, it's gone through two directors, uh, at least three screenplays. Um, Aquaman is at least moving forward. We know Wonder Woman's going to happen. The weirdest thing I've heard is for Green Lantern Corps is that the front runner to play Hal Jordan may still be Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, we discussed that too. It wouldn't be a problem. It's not really a problem if they have a good no. script. If they oh don't- no, I. I'd be fine with it, but then it ties. And the weird thing is that would tie the Green Lantern movie that already exists into yeah. all this. Yeah. Um, and everyone wanted to pretend that wasn't going to happen. He, so, scene one, <laughs> Hal wakes from a dream. A dream, yes. <laughs> uh, I, dreamed my, you know, I dreamed my suit was made by my ring. But, you know, the only reason that I – well, I actually said the only – the best reason I would have to want that movie to – that casting to still exist – is that would mean that you would get Mark Strong as Sinestro again because there would be no better actor to play Sinestro yeah. still. But it, so, just because it's a dream doesn't mean he wasn't dreaming about real people. Yeah, no, because yeah, that was it was great casting. It was yeah. uh, just poorly executed. So anyway, uh, that's that's where we are with with DC movies. Uh, this weekend, of course, we uh, Logan opens up and uh, Fox was so um, confident of Logan that they – I did not see it because the screening was while I was off at Gallifrey One, but uh, you know, two weeks ahead of time, they lifted the press embargo. They do. They were going to get great, great reviews, which is also, you know, which the the downside is, of course, Hugh Jackman has said there's no way he will appear in Deadpool, which is, uh, tells me Deadpool Two. I'm take no. He's going to totally appear in Deadpool Two. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but if they're smart, as Hugh Jackman. And, <laughs> saying, and saying no, I will not appear in this movie. <laughs> so he so, did say, however, that he would have he would have come out. Uh, he would have continued doing Wolverine if the X Men movies were still were could be folded back into the Marvel universe. If Wolverine could join the Avengers in Infinity War, uh-huh. he would play Wolverine one more time. That would be cool. I I am I am not a fan of the new Wolverine where X twenty three is Wolverine mm-hmm. book, but I would 
kind of dig the idea that they would take from this and build an X-23 Wolverine franchise. It'd be interesting. I just... It depends on what they do with... It depends what they do with the character in this movie. Right, and that's the thing. Because if that's said in the future and everything I've read says, you know, it is, the other X-Men are gone like in Old Man Logan. Yeah. Although probably not for the same reason. Probably It's hard to do that. But then it ties... You know, let's... I, I think... What gets left out of that conversation is what's going on on television with FX. So after that first episode of Legion, I haven't had a chance to go back and watch the two that have already that have come since. I watched the second but, one, but okay, I assume still as good as the first. As it was that better. Pilot. It was better than the first one. Well, then there you go. I mean, there's there's a lot of room to play, and because uh, the first one, you're the first one was really kind of a. What's going on here? I don't get. I don't have any kind of grounding, and you're starting to develop mm-hmm. some grounding, so you can start building a story and characters on that you care about. So, Excellent. Yeah, much better. Yeah, I mean the first so, one wasn't bad. I mean that kind of experience is great, especially when it's in like a standalone movie or something. But when it's in a series, you go, boy, I hope the whole series isn't like this. Well, but, no, but I, actually, I was kind of hoping that it could. You know, it, it, it could have for me, but. Um, but, you know, a pilot's got to do what a pilot's got to do, which yeah. is hold your attention, which is what it did. You know, I thought it was interesting. I still haven't watched this last week of Powerless, but the week before, um, a lot of people started saying, oh, we really like this one. And I realized that all, that the subplot that people really responded to in this in the third episode of, of Powerless was uh, what was originally in the first version of it. So they, like, lifted and repurposed the best jokes from their original pilot ah. and put them into the third episode. And I won't spoil it if, you, if people haven't watched it, but there is actually a really funny bit. But knowing what the original one was, they they watered it down a bit. So that was a shame. But um, it, it, it was, you know, it is, again, everybody's got got different uh, different things. I'd say out of Gallifrey 1, I want to say, since we've shifted to television just a bit, that was the panel I was on, was on um, cliffhangers. You know, they ended, they ended on that, um, and of course, Blake Seven was quickly brought up, not by me, and uh, quickly dismissed by the panel. Really? They, said, he, they just said, "No, everybody died. That's it." It was a bunch of British TV writers, so I figured they have the right to say it. But I feel proud that I taught uh, Doctor Who comics writer extraordinaire Tony Lee and a television and movie writer in his own right as well the term "hate watch." <laughs> Apparently, he'd never heard it, <laughs> so he almost fell out of his chair. I'm proud. <laughs> he almost fell out of his chair laughing when he said, yeah, like, I used to hate watch True Blood, and I hate watch Gotham, and he's like, what? <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I think some people are uh, hate watching Powerless, and I, I'm, I'm really actually enjoying it, but in kind of a weird way. Just like, I don't know if I necessarily hate watch DC Legends of Tomorrow. I enjoy it. But I have to turn my I have to turn my brain off. It is and, it is a cotton candy show. And I was irritated last week uh, by Camelot three thousand because they're they're stealing titles and concepts without doing any justice to the titles that they were stealing. Wait so they minute. called it they the they went to King to Arthurian legend they they went to Camelot. And they called the episode Camelot 3000. Oh, oh, oh. I, th- I thought you were telling me about a show I had missed. Like, they're adapting no. Camelot 3000? No, that's the thing. Is Everyone was like, oh, they're going to do Camelot 3000. And then it's like, it's not at all Camelot 3000. But you've got uh, all the fanboys going, oh, the script, you know, the, the title leak. Because what they've been doing is they're tweeting out 
the title pages of their scripts. Yeah. And so everybody goes, oh, it's this title. And then it's like, ah, you know, uh, I just don't. Uh, and I realized I had this yeah, moment. Right. You, you do not tweet out something that is a better story than what you're actually going to deliver. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I Luke and I binge watched, I think, three episodes this weekend. And I realized, wow, three episodes in which um, at one out of three episodes, Firestorm is referenced. But they don't become Firestorm, even though at any point in any of those plots, the appearance of Firestorm would really have been helpful. You know, <laughs> it's like, so it's cotton candy and it's and it's low budget uh, or restricted budget. Um, but uh, anyway, and it, it ties in that I didn't know. Is it Gideon is the computer on that? Um, she yeah. is a, the voice of Gideon is a companion to one of the doctors in. Um, I think to Sylvester McCoy is the seventh doctor in the big Finish audio dramas. Huh? One named Penny. So she was a guest on the big Finish podcast and it's like, Oh yes, I'm Gideon. And thank you for giving me the leg up because you know, they said, have you ever done any sci-fi voiceover? And <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I've been a doctor who companion. It's just like, okay, you got the job, you know? <laughs> so it was kind of, uh, everything comes back to Gallifrey one for me this week. So, uh, that's it because the next big event we said is Cinequest and we're going to have, if all works out, a couple of really interesting uh, interviews that will uh, tie in directly to what we usually talk about on Fanboy Planet, even if the movies themselves are not necessarily genre genre things. So, I have to write my first review tonight. Ah, well, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, there we look forward to that. So that's where Rick and I will be uh, off and on over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so... Uh, thanks for listening. And of course, uh, if you heard this on iTunes or Google Play, rate us, review us, subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, and of course, if there's something we talked about that you cannot find at your local brick and mortar store, you can use the Amazon link on uh, each and every page of Fanboy Planet. That little search box, we get a small kickback from there. And if you'd like to help support us in the in the cost of uh, of hosting the podcast and the website itself, you can uh, send donations to PayPal at editor, E-D-I-T-O-R, at fanboyplanet.com. And if you want to write in anything, questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write to fanboy, uh, editor at fanboyplanet.com. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of Fanboy Planet. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers only for, for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. whatever you know and the original software over there so they're just games that keep building on to each other in a way that infinity didn't quite crack just kind of weird yeah infinity um.
I boxed all my Infinity stuff up this week. Aww. Well, I've had it actually in a storage case, but yeah. uh, and I found that Walmart still has a bunch of them for like five bucks a piece, and uh, so I bought a couple. And I'm and I wasn't that close to I, what they used to be. No, Infinity yeah. figures were twelve. Oh, that's thirteen uh, bucks a piece. No, I was just used to buying them on sale. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. They became that way, but now it's all just like you know. There's plenty, and and so I, I picked up a couple. But I've lost track of what I had. But I figure I have a great nephew who it's the closest thing to a violent game he's allowed to play. Uh-huh. So he loves them, but but his family is not as good at, you know, like hunting down toys as I am. So yeah. I gave him a Drax for Christmas, and he was so excited because once that game shut down, he couldn't find any figures to expand. So. I figure if I have duplicates, it's easy now to just pass them back. For I think the only ones I'm missing are Alice and the Mad Hatter. Yeah, I haven't. I didn't buy any of those yet. I I bought I, Time, um, just because he's well, a good-looking figure. Yeah, but I didn't watch that movie either. No, I didn't either. I didn't really like the didn't really like the first one. So, all right. Yeah, you could have slipped into the podcast any time now. Anytime oh, now. I'm sorry. I thought we were having a real discussion. Well, yes, that's I, the way it's supposed to sound. I know, but I got distracted. I'm sorry. All so, right. Oh, that was so good. Uh, <laughs> I can edit it. Just go ahead. <laughs> no, I do have a question, though, that I think we'll tie in later as well. Do you, do you use the Big Finish app? No, I don't. Okay, so that's something that I, I buy. I buy the MP3 sets that are downloadable, and then I can put them on any of my devices. Mm-hmm. So, no, you still have to go through the the website um, and and do exactly that. But but then using the app, which is free, you can then download them directly to whatever your device is. Okay. Without without converting, so I've just. Uh, it was a conversation that happened over at Gallifrey One, and uh, well, see, so you you buy the CDs, yeah. But I decided for some series like Dark Shadows, um, where it doesn't matter to me as much. You just yeah. bought the MP3s. Then I just well, I started. I just wanted to explore, so I bought uh, Dark Shadows. Um, uh, I just keep hearing people rave about. Uh, uh, a couple others. I'll, I'll circle back around to it. I think a little bit in introducing one of the interviews. Um, but I figured, you know, yeah, it was that having the CD cases for like you know Tennant for the David Tennant, Catherine Tate, and the uh, the War Doctor box sets was that mattered to me as a collector. But if I'm going back for other things, that yeah, it's more. I was I wasn't excited when I found out they were just doing reenactments of the prisoner thing. Is that all it is? I have, yeah, I, it's episodes I of the prisoner done as audio. So, yeah, I was really well, excited about that. Well, I, you know, on the flip side, though, I've, I've, I think I'd, I'd have to say honestly, I've been disappointed or just like, well, that was odd for its own sake. In any attempt that had been made to continue it, you mean you like the, the two comics things the comics and and i think the remake was just like oh the remake was horrible the one with yeah. jim caviezel 
Yes. Yeah. And Ian McKellen. I yeah. mean, you know, you couldn't have gone, you know, I thought, oh, you couldn't go wrong with that cast. No. Well, but they did. <laughs> so. Yeah. They, yeah. No, that was, yeah. it was just awful. There, it was, it was dense and slow and, um, it had no spirit, no, you know, which is an accurate description of me on Saturday morning in the snow. <laughs> so good. <laughs> ah, but, uh, yeah. And again, you failed to introduce the show. No, I was about to. And then you just said, and then again, you failed to introduce. No, you the, paused the way too long. I thought you were good at this. You could just, I am very good pods. at this. Hmm. You could even go in now and I'd be able to edit this in. Well, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com, and we are podcasting actually.